Hi everyone. This November marks the one-year anniversary of Chattanooga Civics. This show has been so rewarding to create. I've been able to meet some amazing people throughout this city and have some really interesting conversations. And of course, I'm always thrilled when listeners reach out and provide feedback. I'm really just glad people are finding this information helpful. This next year, I would like to take this show to the next level. As part of the birthday celebrations, I'm asking every listener to share their favorite episode with their friends, whether it be on social media, by email, or simply by word of mouth. If you do use social media, be sure to tag the show. And as always, if you would like to leave a tip, or if you own a local business and would like to sponsor an episode, you can head to chattanoogacivics.com. As always, thanks for listening. Now on to the show. This is Chattanooga Civics. I'm Nathan Bird. One of the most important aspects of city government is zoning. Zoning controls what landowners can and cannot do on their property. The way a city structures its zoning regulations can have all sorts of impacts on housing prices, transportation, property taxes, and more. This episode is the first in a series dedicated to different aspects of zoning in the city of Chattanooga. Darren Ledford. I am the Chattanooga City Council representative for District 4. For uh, most of you who don't know the numbers, that's the east uh, part of the city, Hamilton Place, um, and the uh, to the Georgia line all the way up to roughly Volkswagen exit on the eastern side of I-75. I currently chair and have for the last four and a half years the Planning and Zoning Committee for the City of Chattanooga. I'm also a Transportation Planning Organization board member, and I also sit on the Planning Commission as a Planning Commissioner representing the City Council. Great. So you're kind of the zoning expert on the City Council, chairing that committee. You're on the Planning Commission. So if you could just tell our listeners just very broadly, what is zoning? Zoning is, um, in a nutshell, what you can do and what you cannot do with the land that you are on. And that's uh, what it breaks down to. Uh, comes down to a lot of separate issues, uh, resulting to what property rights are, mm-hmm. uh, to a rezoning or what you're allowed to do uh, as far as building, and or projects, uses of the land that falls into zoning categories. And zoning has a history in this country dating back, obviously, to around the turn of the century, starting in Los Angeles and New York City, and then being upheld in the Supreme Court roughly around the 1920s in mm-hmm. Ohio. So that's where we kind of get a basis for the land use or zoning laws right. that we see today. So what are those kind of uses just broadly break down into? Uh, you know, I know we, looking at our zoning code, we have lots of different zones, but just kind of broadly, what do those break up Broadly, into? yeah, because we could talk about that for, several, <laughs> yeah. for a long time. Uh, residential and commercial and agriculture mm-hmm. are probably the three that I would break that down into mm-hmm. its most simplest form. 
Gotcha. So I guess if somebody owns a piece of property and it's zoned for a uh, single family residential right. and they decide they want to build a duplex, what does the process look like for them to rezone that property? Sure. Well, that would be an R1 to an R2 uh, to get uh, to dive a little yeah. deeper into that process. Uh, you're talking about single family structure versus a what we would call a duplex in an R2 or you'd have two families living in one structure. Um, they would start the smart way would be to look and see in the area plan that we have, and that's through uh, the work of the RPA. Does that area plan s- uh, support that zoning change? Mm-hmm. Um, look around and check with them. And first of all, and that's, that doesn't cost anything to kind of dig around and even call RPA and ask their opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you decided you wanted to do that, um, it's, it's, it's really important to understand that everyone has a right to ask. As a property owner, you have a right to ask for a rezoning mm-hmm. and go through the process. And we see that um, where people are often confused. I don't understand why they're even allowed to make applications. <laughs> I'm like, well, that's their right, just like it would be your right if you wanted to change right. the land use. And there is a process, and it's a lengthy process at times. It could take up to 60 days or more. And um, it's an investment, too, because it costs money in order mm-hmm. to do that. There are fees associated with uh, with the application. But um, you would go to the regional planning agency, pick up an application to rezone, talk with someone, schedule a preliminary uh, meeting with them. And from there, they'll, they'll give you advice. They'll say, hey, you know, this is probably not a good idea or it's not going to pass because of the Area 11 plan or there's no other duplexes in this specific case in this R1 neighborhood. So if you had an R1 neighborhood, so to speak, mm-hmm. um, and you were to put a duplex, and I had a case like this not long ago, where someone after the tornado hit our area, went through and bought a, a property and picked it up apparently for a good price and thought, well, I'm gonna drop a duplex in the middle of this single uh, family neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're a little disappointed when I said, well, that's a spot zone. There, is, there are no other R2s anywhere in this, on this street and it doesn't fit the character of the neighborhood so I would not be supporting that and we went through the whole process and Mm -hmm. at the end of the day I I did vote to deny it and uh, without a lot of fanfare or uh, um, um, emotion it's just a mechanical process and I tried to explain to them that was a spot zone but there is a process that it goes through Mm -hmm. and part of that process is through the application through the pre-submittal meeting but also talking to your neighbors, and that's where it really gets something that I find very, very uh, important is that when we go through a rezoning process that you involve your community because rights on your to, for your property, I, I will stand with you every single day on property rights, what you're allowed to do on your property. When you ask to rezone it, adjacent property owners are now affected, and I think that is uh, where the difference is, and some people may not understand that process is why do they get to, you know, why do I have to ask? I want to do this with my property. It's because you are under a legal zone and you do, if what you do does affect your neighbors. Mm-hmm. So that's why we have this process that goes through the planning commission and then ultimately splits off into the county commission, if it's in the county, and the city council, if it's in the city. Right. So, so kind of walk through that process. I guess it goes from the, the regional planning agency 
takes that review and they'll yeah. talk to the applicant and then what do they do with that recommendation so staff uh, puts it into a report and I'm, I'm holding a copy of one for your uh, listeners it's pretty <laughs> thick we went through this uh, yesterday it had uh, about 30 30 cases and it took us um, almost what, what time we, we leave yesterday four, four hours four, almost yeah, five, about four, hours. five hours to to do the cases but the staff at RPA makes a recommendation in this report and then as a planning commission, there's a group of 15 of us, um, we review the case and we make a recommendation. It's not mm -hmm. a final. A lot of people find that confusing as well. Right. They think if it's at planning commission that the project is actually finished, it's over. It's either uh, it's supported there or it doesn't. Right. It's a recommendation. Mm -hmm. It's a recommending body. And it goes on to, if it's in the county, the county and on to the city council where the two bodies respectively will make the final decision right so it's really it's really interesting we had a lot of cases yesterday for example that staff had certain recommendations for for denial and after looking through the case and I spend um, I spend a probably 15 to 20 hours uh, preparing for this monthly meeting mm -hmm. because it's very important for me to understand everything I can and the nuances that go into each case and sometimes you might find that it's opposition from a neighbor or it's a condition mm -hmm. uh, we talk about conditional zoning there's only two counties in the uh, state of Tennessee that allow conditional zoning and we're one of them so we may need to work through conditions with neighbors you know whether it be a fence or a landscape buffer or something that makes the project more palatable mm -hmm. because like I said you're asking for a change in your use of the land which can affect your neighbor um, so after that recommendation it goes on to the County Commission or the City Council uh, which will be heard in those committees 30 days later roughly mm -hmm. the next month so that's why I stated earlier that process could be up to 60 days right or more right it takes a while because if something's not working out or there's opposition to a case and there needs to be more dialogue because mm -hmm. one of the one of the uh, very important aspects of a zoning case to me and I push this with all my colleagues on council is to make sure they have a community meeting mm -hmm. to make sure every voice is heard in the community uh, that is affected by it and that doesn't mean just adjacent land use or adjacent uh, property owners but how the land use could affect nearby neighbors right and so we want to make sure that we we do our due diligence because we are elected representatives and we want to make sure that we're listening mm -hmm. and those voices are heard loud and clear and and I think that's very important so you're in the unique position of being on both the Planning Commission and the City Council uh, talk about the makeup of city council. We've covered in previous episodes of podcasts an elected office, pretty straightforward in terms of each representative represents a district. But talk about the makeup of the planning commission and who is on that commission and how are they chosen? So primarily the two mayors pick mm -hmm. um, the, the uh, representatives to the planning commission, seven and seven, and you have the city mayor and the county mayor. And it's made up of their appointees except for the outliers on the bell curve which are their two elected representatives uh, from the one from the county who's mm -hmm. the county planning and zoning chairperson and the city's planning and zoning chairperson right. so there's two elected officials on plus a chairman mm -hmm. uh, the chairman does not uh, actually vote in case of a tie so and chairman does not make motions so 
that's really uh, important to mm -hmm. note. The chairman is there to facilitate the meeting, make sure everything is going according to plan, mm -hmm. along with the RPA director who serves as our secretary. They are usually folks, to get to the, the heart of your question, they're usually folks with uh, either development zoning backgrounds that understand zoning because it can be very complex and have a firm foundation uh, in the community mm -hmm. uh, in retrospect to uh, zoning laws or, or familiar with zoning laws. So we have developers, we have real estate agents, we have um, uh, folks with little but have learned more about zoning as time has come by. We have um, architects. Mm -hmm. So it's it's made up of appointees who go through a process with each mayor um, to make sure that zoning is understood at the level because planning commission is very strict on what we're able to make decisions based on. Right. Um, some of the items, and this might be interesting to uh, to your listeners, some of the opposition items that are very popular is our um, traffic mm -hmm. um, and uh, the, the neighbor, you know, property values are will decrease. We hear a lot of these same repeat items, but those are not actual items mm -hmm. that we factor into the land use decision. Those are handled, uh, especially when you talk about stormwater and traffic. Those are all issues that are handled at the permitting level. Right. So just because a project makes it through the planning commission, a recommendation, Angle even goes on to city council or county commission and is approved, maybe hiccups on the permitting right. level. Right. So it's, it's still not a what we would call a slam dunk, as most people think. Oh, you approved the zoning so, no, albeit nothing happens without the zoning. Right. But it, there could be hiccups, and that's what we rely on experts in stormwater mm -hmm. and traffic engineering and our folks at LDO, our land development office, to pick up on the items that we are not experts in. Right. But we're supposed to be uh, conscious of the land use. So there's still another layer, I guess, of consciousness that mm -hmm. has to uh, pass through before, I guess, they are issued an LDP, a land disturbance permit. Right, and that's when they go through all those different yeah. more engineering questions so so kind of break down then what are the land use questions a little oh, bit more specifically yeah. just two or three items that you review when you're making these decisions when we're talking about land use we look at precedents we look at the current zones we look at the area around it mm -hmm. and we say hmm this is a i mentioned the word spot zoning mm -hmm. something we really really do not like to do because it sets a precedence mm -hmm. and also sets um a non-consistent behavior with zoning and if you change a zone and the whole area changes you know that's 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 one mindset but to have someone come in and ask for a spot zone like the the, the example I, I mentioned earlier an R2 right in the middle of an R1 well then you set the precedence mm -hmm. and the next door applicant or the next door property owner could be an applicant and say, well, you gave R2. We already have R2. The precedence has been set. Right. And that's really important. And then we try to look at separating residential zones in, from commercial zones as much as possible and using transitional zones. One of the zones I didn't mention earlier is office. Mm -hmm. It has uh, specific, you can actually live in an office zone. I don't, most people don't know that, but you can actually live in an office zone, but it, it acts as a buffer, mm -hmm. a transition from a commercial to an R1. So if you saw a, an application for a C2 next to an R1 neighborhood, um, 
that's going to be a, a, a tricky one depending on where that C2 is located. You wouldn't right. drop a convenience store or something like that in the middle of a neighborhood. Right. That just doesn't make sense. So we look at the structure. And then I referenced also um, earlier the area the area plan. Mm-hmm. So in District 4, which is affectionately known to RPA as Area 11, and it's on their website, you can go and uh, kind of cruise through it and see. Mm-hmm. You will see that we are working on right now on every decision in District 4, which is a very fast-growing community, I'm working with a 25-year-old land use plan, which dates back to <laughs> like the building of Hamilton Place. Right. Our city has changed. Yes. <laughs> Our city has Pretty changed. Pretty drastically, yeah. And as of March 2015, you also have to look at what the state legislature did through the work of Senator Watson and Representative Carter and that is we are no longer as a city we can no longer annex unless it's through a petition process Mm -hmm. so that's important to note when we start thinking about zoning so think of it as we've marched to an invisible wall and we've hit it as a city we can no longer grab a neighborhood to help uh, increase the tax base to Mm -hmm. offset the cost of police and fire salaries or road paving we now have to have turned around in 2015 and we have to look inside mm-hmm. and we have to use what we have. So that mindset, understanding that, and then understanding the popularity of where we live, it's a great city and it's very popular, especially recent. We have to start thinking about density, mm-hmm. but we have to be strategic as to where the density is placed. Right. And that's what these area 11 plans are, or the, the area 11 plan for my district. And there are other area plans. Right that we've been working through RPA since I've been there in the last four and a half years. And these plans help RPA make those decisions. Mm -hmm. And it helps developers say, hey, I read the plan. I shouldn't ask for this land use in this area because Mm -hmm. I can already see they're not going to be in favor of this and recommend it. So it's it's a roadmap if you want to use it and you should use it. Right. Um, Because that strategic plan, and I'll, I'll, I'll... I'll stop there, is involves the community and goes through a very lengthy process. And mm-hmm. community input is very, very critical in mm-hmm. those area, area uh, use, land use plans. Mm-hmm. And so w- one question I have is you mentioned spot zoning in the case of maybe somebody trying to convert their single family to a duplex. Um, is a larger rezoning effort handled any differently? Are there different criteria that you think about if somebody is taking, say, uh, a large chunk of what used to be farmland or industrial land and rezoning, you know, 50 to 100 acres versus one house? Is that handled any differently? You were definitely at planning commission yesterday. That's (laughs) that's exactly what we have been working with. So there's, um, yes, so when you look at an area and you have a large tract of land, mm-hmm. we look at what's around it. If it's single family, if it is a multifamily, like an apartment complex, is, uh, are there townhomes, which is an RTZ zoning? We look at those areas. We do look at traffic, believe it or not. People think we don't, but we do actually look at traffic, and that's one of the important parts of my job is I live in these, like in District 4, I live right. in this area. Uh, out there so I know the roads I I deal with them just like everyone 
So we do take that into consideration. And when warranted, we'll ask for a traffic study. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important for people to know. But CDOT knows pretty pretty well the, uh, the, the, the traffic count. So right now, and this is real important, and people are probably not going to want to hear this, but no one's building in a straight R1. That's your single family uh, um, neighborhood that's traditional. Um, 7,500 square foot lot, uh, lot size. So they're, 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 not, they're not doing it. Every case, and years ago when I first took my position on the planning commission, I knew that was going to be the case. And I haven't seen one, no one's building an R1. Mm-hmm. So they asked for a variance uh, or a variant. I should right. say, an RTZ or RT1. And for your listeners, that's residential townhomes, zero lot line, mm-hmm. residential townhomes, uh, single kind of standing on their own, single family. And then um, the, the most popular tool we see, and I live in one, is a PUD, which is a planned unit development. So the designation may stay as R1, residential, mm-hmm. but it, it, it will live in a PUD. And the, with a PUD, you have no minimum lot sizes. You're able to squeeze the houses in closer. Mm-hmm. Um, ours is done, I think, very well with 10-foot setbacks, side setbacks. So we have 20 feet in between the houses. It's perfect. I've lived there for 16 years, and my neighbors are just close enough. <laughs> but some are 5-foot setbacks, and mm-hmm. they're only 10 feet apart. And that's you know we'll let the market decide on who 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 um, who wants that product but what's important to understand about the PUD is that it creates other amenities that are important there's green space uh, that are usually associated with there is um, uh, foliage and landscaping that's a part of these of the PUD formula that the developers wouldn't be held accountable to had they not applied for the PUD. And one of the most important things, and I'm going to dive real, real technical here under the, under the the wave is in a PUD, the site plan is tied Mm -hmm. to the project. So basically when the public sees the presentation at a community meeting and they see that map up on a foam board on an easel, they know what they're getting. And by law, that site plan is tied. So there's no, uh, there's no trickery going on from a developer. So Holding them accountable, it also gives them an opportunity to add in conditions. You mm-hmm. mentioned that earlier. And that's pretty important because in the, the community meeting, folks can come and they, you know what, they know a lot about where they live. Hey, this has been an, uh, an issue. There's some water or flooding over here. Uh, we'd like you to address this. Or, and the neighbors and the community has have an opportunity to have those conditions put into that project Mm -hmm. and it makes the project better i've never seen one that that wasn't better because uh, of community input Mm -hmm. and when that's done that all becomes part of law which an ordinance or a zoning ordinance is law and so that's does does that help you a little bit and then we also look at areas so for example we will look at density in in specific areas Mm -hmm. and we want to be real careful there are certain areas in district four where uh, I've asked developers, and I have a great relationship with them. Please don't bring me any more multifamily apartments. <laughs> I don't. I, please, no more R three. And they're like, okay. Would you entertain RTZ, single family, uh, residential townhomes that share the wall? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. 
because I understand the need for housing. Mm-hmm. And what I have found is, is, is people understand that. But uh, the balance between apartments or townhomes is something that pe- each representative in their own district really have to pay attention to. Right. And that's what I help them through. Right. That's part of my job is, uh, is helping them work through that in their own district. Mm-hmm. And I spend a lot of time with them in that respect. Mm-hmm. So a uh, kind of a more detailed question transitioning away a little bit. So we've talked about spot zones. We've talked about uh, larger developments that are usually handled through a planned unit development of PUD. Um, I'm curious how rezoning might work in an area that's more established uh, historically, uh, somewhere like North Chattanooga, Highland Park. I live in San Elmo, all these areas where a lot of the houses date back to the early 1900s. I'm thinking you were talking about how your neighborhood, you've got 20 feet between the houses. That is uh, pretty dramatic for a place like St. Elmo because when it was built in the early 1900s, it was more typical to have five foot or 10 foot setbacks. Uh, But if you look at the zoning map, an area like that is actually zoned R1. So how does it, how how is that considered when a, a historic lot comes up for a rezoning effort and you maybe couldn't even physically build some of the houses that are there by law anymore, if that makes sense. That is where we rely heavily. Um, for example, St. Elmo has a historic board mm-hmm. that deals with variances mm-hmm. in lot sizes. And we deal with uh, lot sizes at the planning commission level and also at city council. Mm-hmm. And then you've got set some setback variances that you deal with at BOZA, the Board of Zoning Appeals, that's usually for um, a, a little bit not as... Um, detailed right. variances um, regarding frontage. That is something that we've seen in North Chattanooga, and it's a great question because North Chattanooga is almost, there's, there's not much left to build. Right. I mean, we're back to steep slopes, and it's something that was very hot about three years ago. I actually mm-hmm. wrote legislation in conjunction with engineers and landscape architects um, trying to get them to stay off steep slopes to protect them. Mm-hmm. And, and that law, it did, was passed, took about a year to get it passed, but it is part of, um, our ordinance now to encourage people to leave trees, leave native trees, to stay off the land, maybe get a little, little, uh, wiggle room on some, uh, setback variances, right. you know, working with LDO, if you stay off those steep slopes. And, mm-hmm. and that's something that we really tried to encourage. And we had a very, very uh, important part of that was the participation from the public. I mean, there was a massive committee that was formed. And out of that, I mean, they didn't get everything that they wanted, which some some would just say moratorium. Mm -hmm. We'll just stop building. But I don't, that's never a practical, that's never a practical solution. Um, You can't just stop. Mm -hmm. It's like stop eating, stop. Stop drinking water and whatever. I mean, we we cannot stop as a city with uh, unless I, I guess in you know, some areas of the county where they were issued because mechanically they just couldn't handle it, such mm-hmm. as sewer access. But um, but then even those um, had, were lifted at some point when infrastructure catches up, and the infrastructure right. is a whole another right whole yeah, another day long conversation. Yep. Yeah, that's one of the things we don't touch. Um, so you're really down to taking lot sizes, dividing them up, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, some neighborhoods like St. Elmo, where my in-laws grew up, mm-hmm. um, there were some lar- larger lots and smaller lots, and we've seen developers go in and buy the properties and want to subdivide those lots. And uh, there's a lot of say-so from the residents mm-hmm. in St. Elmo, for example, and uh, it's important that we hear from them. But um, building a home in an area and asking for that is, is I'll go back to, it's your right. And it's also uh, the public's right to, um, to have that input heard mm-hmm. and waiting on that decision. So it, it, it's not easy sometimes. Right. And people, some people are very upset and, um, and they, everyone is entitled to, to uh, that feeling. So we've talked about this uh, kind of generally walk through the process. A rezoning application gets sent to the regional planning agency. The planning agency sends a recommendation to the planning commission. The planning commission votes and sends their recommendation to either the city council or the county commission based on wherever that property is. Yes. Um, and, and we've spent a lot of time talking about kind of how you review things from a planning commission standpoint. Do you kind of change hats when you move from planning commission to city council and review things a little bit differently? Or is it fairly consistent? And how often do you all kind of defer to planning commission? And how often do you kind of do something different? That is an excellent question. And I'll tell you why. Um, how much time do you have on this? Because uh, I have as much time as you do. So another <laughs> okay. 30 minutes. So when I first took uh, my seat on the planning commission, you know, the planning commission is really trained to, to think along a linear line mm-hmm. in zoning and making the decision like a lot of the um, arguments or opposition that comes or people want to share with you things that you're not supposed to put into the bowl mm-hmm. uh, when you're mixing um, the ingredients when it comes to zoning well as an elected official and only there's only two of us on the planning commission i can't do that I, i've tried to wear that hat and i've learned to i've learned to tuck away some of the th- comments that I want to make Mm -hmm. and and save them for next month because it's more applicable to the city council discussion because we were all elected and we all represent our districts but at the planning commission I try to stay I try to stay on the linear on the linear path but you'll see me talk a lot about have you met with the council representative for this area have you held a community meeting see no one else says that, mm-hmm. but myself and the <laughs> county commission representative, right. because that's that's what we're do. That's why we're there, and I think that's the balance mm-hmm. um, for having us. Uh, I mean, automatically placed on there. You know, we're not as long as I'm the chairperson for the city. I'm on that commission. The mayors don't appoint me. Uh, it's, it's it just happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, same thing for the the commission. So. When I get to council, we've pretty much worked through, hopefully, if you'll only, we'll have a first read tonight on several cases, we'll work through some items. But just because it came from planning commission, maybe even with a recommendation, the council representative, and this, this, is, this is how the council works, the council is very conscious of their districts. Mm-hmm. They work each, all nine of us know our districts. We work very, very um, diligently with the folks in our area. 
And just because it came from planning commission with a, like a recommendation, last week, for example, um, the chairman in his district said, I see it has a recommendation, but I met with this community. I know this community. I've spoken to them, and it's not in character, even though it came with a recommendation. And, mm-hmm. he's, and he stated that he will, and this is on public record, so I can repeat it. Um, he stated, I will be moving to deny it. And it's as simple as that. Mm-hmm. He, he represents the people of his district, and he will recommend to deny it. And even if I were to disagree with him, maybe, um, I'm going to listen to him because at council, at the council level, and this isn't written anywhere, this is our respect for each other, we look at that as you are the representative of that district. You know that area, you know those people, and they, and they voted for you or didn't vote for you, <laughs> however it works out. But I, I can tell you this, none of them cast a vote for me in your district. And we take that very seriously. And that's how and why council works so well together is because we truly, truly respect each other. And um, I think that makes a, a, a strong difference mm-hmm. in, in our cases. Um, county commission, I spend a lot of time over on that side. I like to go and watch and understand how the, the county side. Um, this say their mechanics are a little different. I've seen a council or a commissioner be very adamant against something and have reasons for it and that it gets voted on anyways Mm -hmm. and so i think that there's a little different working dynamics there i think i like to say at council we're a little more intimate right um we're a little more i mean um we're taking in our committee listening to each other and and we share those concerns and more than anything we really respect what those council representatives have to say because Mm -hmm. like i said they've they're the ones working in their communities. Mm-hmm. And this is getting a little bit off topic, so I don't want to spend too long on this yep. question, but how much of that do you think is due to the difference in how the council and commission are structured in terms of the commission being a partisan body with Republicans and Democrats yeah. and yeah. the city council being uh, open elections, essentially? Well, I, this is just my humble opinion mm-hmm. because I watch both. I have friends on both. Um, on the commission, I mean, I, I mean, obviously I have friends on the council very right. very much um, but I have a lot of friends on county commission because I'm fascinated with the inner workings of government mm-hmm. and watching them perform I think it does but one commissioner in particular always asked me because I'm always I'm always advocating and promoting how council operates together mm-hmm. and he says uh, he has a he so I'll say he he says how do you all do it when you're in public when you're in your meetings um, you communicate, you listen, you, you know, you seem to work for the most part cohesive. No, we're going to disagree on some things every now mm-hmm. and then. And that's fine. That's what, as I like to say at the dinner table, uh, that's what families do and it's okay. And we treat, treat each other with respect and we, uh, and, and we move on and work together. And, but it's, it's not the norm um, for any kind of animosity or anything. But in, in regards to your question, I think Honestly, going back to when he's asking me why do we work differently in, in his perception too, I said, it's just the amount of time we spend together. Maybe mm-hmm. it's the larger districts. Maybe um, it's the how they're in or, you know, we're evolved in a lot of 
city events where we go and right. we spend time to, you know at a luncheon or something in a table we have an opportunity to talk to each other we don't talk about things on the agenda because we all know we all know how that works uh, per, per state law but we care about it and we ask questions we spend time with each other we and I think it's important as a community and I've, I've encouraged that um, and um, I think that it the more time you spend the more time you learn and once you learn about where someone came from or what their districts are needing or their their concerns i think it helps us all do a better job when the topics come up to help each other when the opportunity arises mm -hmm. and i think that's important so it's interesting you brought up that question because i've i think it does have a little bit of of a difference mm -hmm. i hear certain comments made at commission that you don't hear in our our in our meetings for example mm -hmm. and i think we take it very seriously that we're here to work for the city, work on solutions, and sometimes, uh, well, a lot of times, the solutions are out there, um, and it really doesn't matter. Right. It doesn't matter what your, what letter you have, and, and right. And I, I actually kind of like that. Yeah. Uh, I really do. I find it, um, I find it a, a weight lifted, because I look at the the problem, and I look at the solution, and it doesn't really matter where it comes from. If it works, it works. Good. Well, I'm, I'm glad we took that little tangent. That was yeah, that was uh, a little, little side, little sidebar. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah, sure. Um, back to to zoning. Uh, I feel like we've covered kind of the rezoning process pretty thoroughly in terms of somebody wanting to do something different with their property. Uh, I'm curious: is there kind of a long term vision on the council for broader zoning changes, changes to the kind of the basic structure of the code? Um, I know. There's the area plans, which are kind of separately handled by the RPA, and they go through their own process. But what is that kind of long-term vision? What does that broad change look like? I know uh, I'm thinking of one event in particular, the creation of the form-based code, which <laughs> covers most of downtown. Mm -hmm. uh, that might be a good example, or if you want to take that in another direction. So right now, we are about to set on an adventure. The city hired a firm called Cameros who for about a year studied our zoning laws and have prepared a draft for us to start digesting. Mm -hmm. So what we have found, and I applaud, it started under the Burke administration, and I applaud that effort, and, uh, and Mayor Kelly has actually appointed staff to, to walk this through and start the process. Um, as my position on the council, I'll be right there walking with them as we mm -hmm. go through this. But our zoning laws are outdated. They're antiquated. Some of them, I mentioned mine's 25 years old. Mm -hmm. that's, that's difficult to make decisions. And what it, what it does is it creates, it creates a lot of pivoting during the zoning process to come up with conditions or to use a zone you don't want to use. Right. I have... Um, for example, these um, these you know those little coffee houses that are popping up, mm -hmm. beautiful one that wanted to be up the street from us on the widening of East Brainerd Road going out to the county, and the, but C two would not fit or they were denied C two because it was right there amongst an R one neighborhood, mm -hmm. even though it was on a five lane highway now, mm -hmm. and I had to put it in C two, but I had to load it down with conditions. Right. Luckily, the the property owner, the the, the business owner. You know, whatever we have to do, attitude, 
and went and talked to them. They went through the whole process. But the fact that it's got a list of seven or eight conditions is ridiculous when that could have been a lesser commercial zone. Right. That could have been recommended from staff. And you know what? I love that little coffee place. Absolutely adore it. And it's walkable. Mm-hmm. I see people walking to it. And it fits our neighborhood beautifully. But the fact that I had to put it in a zone that can also allow a gas station is, is right. kind of silly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I mentioned the R1. So what we're, we're, we're about to embark on, and it will probably take a few years to hammer it out, is the zoning code assessment. Looking at it, f- trying to figure out how can we A, simplify code, uh, maybe apply conditions that, that make sense so that we don't have to think on the spot and or pull out the old, um, the old uh, long list of zoning, mm-hmm. uh, the, the lighting and, and things. And it's just, it's, it's, a do, it's a gruesome process sometimes. Mm-hmm. But we're, it, it's, it's very important for the future of our city because when I talk about that we've hit the wall and uh, as far as annexation, this assessment is going to hopefully give us a, an update mm-hmm. on what we're missing, whether it's adding in new zones, whether it's um, uh, removing zones, whether it's splitting some zones into some different categories, i.e. we call those tools in our toolbox, so that the recommendations coming from staff can be more, I guess, um, contextual, if you will, because they make sense instead of a recommendation for denial. And then I have to go, wow, that's a good project. How do we get that? Well, if we can, and and that's not, I don't think that's the way, that's the way we have to do it, Mm -hmm. but we're, we're embarking on that journey and it's, it's, that's exciting. Yeah. And I'm hesitating because I don't know what's coming. Right. And the draft has just now been presented, and we haven't even officially seen it at council yet. And mm-hmm. I'll see it before my colleagues do. And uh, I'm I'm a little intimidated by what I'm going to see because I don't know how far. And it doesn't mean that we're going to adopt everything that they say. Right. That and that's the other part to, to make sure you know when I hire someone to tell us what to do. Right. We have to go through that process. Council has to go through that process um, to make sure that it is. And there'll be a public obviously a public input process Mm -hmm. and that's going to take some time but that's really one of my big focuses uh, for the next three and a half years of of this term is to make sure we have better zoning laws Mm -hmm. um, that reflect the community's values input while maintaining the balance for an ever-increasing population and I think that's 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 the hard work That's exciting. So once that's presented to council, is that going to then be a public document that yeah, people anything can go look at? Read, sure. Anything that's given to council is a public document. So, Great. We'll um, be on the lookout for that. Yeah, be on the lookout for it. Uh, and that and, and, and it's going to be interesting. Definitely. Uh, it's, going to, it's going to be interesting. I'm, I'm excited and also a little intimidated. Right, that's a again. big... Yeah, it is. It opens up a lot of possibilities. And like you said, you might not do all of it. You might do some of it. You might kind of graft some things yeah, together. Yeah, do but it in pieces, in sections, you know. Mm-hmm. Let's look at this section over the next six to eight months. Let's look at the next section, you know, what needs to be improved first over, uh, I mean, the biggest one I can tell you right off the bat is it needs an overhaul of C2. Mm-hmm. I mean, in C2, it's our commercial convenient zone. It's, as we affectionately call it at council, the wild, wild west. Anything goes in C2. 
and that's why that's where a lot of work has to be done mm -hmm. uh, with conditions to keep it uh, keep it corralled. So right. I'm going to go with the Western terminology to keep it corralled to the specific use. Mm -hmm. Um, because in C2, there are a lot of things you don't want in, in a neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And you want to make sure that you protect the community um, based on what they tell you they want protection from. And uh, so that's, it's, 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 it's going to be interesting. Has there been any, uh, I don't want to get too deep into the form-based code and, and what that is and how it works other than to say that it... I'm good because I'm going to ask Sarah Robinson. I was gonna say down. I'm, I'm hoping I'm now. hoping to sit down with her uh, sooner rather than later and talk about the details of the form-based code. But in general, I mean, the idea behind a form-based code is that you're not targeting uses so right. much as you are targeting form, form and yeah. appearance. I mean, as you could sure. tell from the name, a form-based code. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't necessarily matter if you're building an office building or an apartment complex or a. Uh, retail, you know, if it has a certain form that meets the neighborhood character, then it should be approved. Uh, and getting away from that kind of use-based right. zoning, has there been any conversation about moving more that direction for more of the city? Or is that something that, you know, and this is more just from an open-ended kind of city council perspective, is what's the appetite for that? I would say form-based code is for most of my colleagues um, very well it's it, for all of us it's very complex it number is. one number two we really rely on the form based code committee to handle appeals and variances mm -hmm. and we really rely on RPA because form based code is not not an ancient code around here mm -hmm. it's it's last administration um and as far as I, I think what you may be asking are, are there some things in form-based code that we may borrow in the mindset of, I don't know until we, till we see that report. Right. And, and that's an interesting um, question because I, I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, I will tell you there are um, new introductions of projects without specifically naming them that are fascinating. They're fascinating because I think they're they're focused more on quality of life. They're focused more on transportation, mm -hmm. less less focused on the car mm -hmm. vehicle, and more about uh, uh, I want to say smart density, not just packing people into to spaces, but activating or animating spaces. That is just fascinates me when it comes to zoning mm -hmm. because that pushes your developers and the products that they they represent and I think that um, I think it's our responsibility to pay really close attention and learn everything we can from form-based code from these new contextual areas um, and um, I'm feeling I'm feeling there's a lot of work to be done in Chattanooga right there is and I take that, you know, going back to that, hitting that, that annexation wall, um, mm -hmm. it's, it's critical. It's critical to how we will be successful and provide opportunities and bring up neighborhoods. Bring up neighborhoods. So when you talk about neighborhoods, I'm going to go on an off-ramp just for a second. When you talk about some of the neighborhoods in um, Districts 8, 9, and even 7, for example, that... Um, that 
really need our full attention because things have been neglected or missed. I, I, I've been blessed to, to learn more in this job than I probably have ever in my previous <laughs> 47 years when I got into office. Um, and it's been a great opportunity for me to help my colleagues in those districts when they come and say, hey, we've got uh, housing opportunities or affordable housing, or there's a business that wants to relocate. How do we work through this zoning and what can we do? I'm right there, right next to them. Mm -hmm. and, and, and that's probably one of my greatest joys in this job. It's okay, what do you, you know, this is amazing. Uh, you know, they're not just jobs, but career opportunities. You know, when we're looking at like the Marion Garber School coming online, um, the technical school, I mean, just fascinating that I could mm -hmm. actually just be a part of that. And, uh, and, and I'm just, that's, that's one of the most rewarding parts of this job is, is learning and then taking what you've learned and helping your colleagues by uh, supporting them and helping them, helping them be successful mm -hmm. for their districts and for the people of their, their districts. Well, good. So I've got one last topic. I, I think we've got about 15 minutes left or maybe a little less. Yeah. Uh, I know you've got a city council meeting to prepare for. Um, we can kind of take this a couple different directions, but very broadly speaking, just how can citizens get involved in this process? Like you said, uh, you know, there's a lot to be said for land use rights, but at a certain point, what you do on your property does affect your neighbor. I know the classic example is you don't want an industrial plant next to a school, uh, you know, and then you kind of abstract that out and you see how different uses sitting next to each other can really have an impact on your neighbor. Um, so people, I mean, anybody who's watched a, a planning commission meeting can see pretty clearly that people care very deeply sure. about these issues. Um, so how do citizens get involved? Um, what one are the, outlets for that? Sure. Well, one of the things that they obviously can do is go to the RPA website and prove that. If you're not using that, that's okay. I don't use it all the time either. Pay attention in your neighborhood. When every zoning change or request that go, is marked with a bright yellow sign. When you see that zoning sign, see who the applicant is ask your neighbors get involved I think that's one of the most um, critical parts of the whole process in that signage because one of the one of the questions we ask at Planning Commission um, it was the sign posted was the sign up for 30 days was it was it um, Noticeable, you know, and, and RPA is very serious about that sign, yes. <laughs> as you probably might have experienced. They're very serious about that sign because that is the public notice. Plus, they're they're listed. I, I believe they're posted in the paper, but but the papers I guess cease to exist as far as a paper <laughs> physically paper. physically. So so I would say, in your neighborhood, in your area where you live, look for those bright yellow signs. Usually, um, posted out close to the road so you can see it, and don't feel don't feel like you can't reach out to your council representative or your county commissioner. Mm -hmm. Hey, so-and-so, how do you feel? What's going on there? Um, I've had a lot of people call with misinformation that starts quickly mm -hmm. because fear is a, you know, that's a, spreads like wildfire. And they call and they'll say, hey, I heard this was going to be X, Y, and Z. And I go, oh, no, thanks for calling. That's a, you know, A, B, and C project. And they're like, oh, okay. 
Well, yeah, that okay, that makes sense. And because we know when we should know, that's our job. Mm-hmm. Zoning, interesting uh, point here. Outside of the mayor's budget that's presented to council, zoning is our number two priority. I, I, I say number two. That's my personal opinion. But it really is. Zoning belongs to city council. Mm-hmm. It does not belong to the executive branch. Mm-hmm. We make the final decisions on zoning. And um, alluding back to respecting every council person's decision on what happens in their district regarding zoning, we take that very seriously mm-hmm. at city council. And um, it's our responsibility to know what's going on. And if we don't, we're not doing our job. But I can tell you every project that's going on, I can tell you I've had a hand on every project, right down to one right around the corner from my house um, that was yesterday that was a C2 request, and I mm-hmm. felt that an, a UGC was a much better zone, a lot more restrictions, and made a lot of sense, and I know the quality of product that can come out of that, so I moved it, and, and we'll see that as UGC um, because that's – Zoning is our, our pri- one of our primary responsibilities. Right. And that, I mean, becomes pretty obvious as soon as you look at any city council agenda at any given time. It's uh, 40% rezoning requests, 40% budget approvals, and Correct. 20% yeah. miscellaneous. You know, it's, it's up there. Because yeah. um, although we approve the mayor's budget, people, um, that is a dollar amount mm-hmm. and a, a taxation rate. Mm-hmm. inside of that's an ordinance but every expenditure over $25,000 even though we've approved the budget mm-hmm. it's a double layer protection basically right has to come through us to approve it right so it's not you know here's a blank check for, right yeah know. make sure that yeah. all that money that's if it's over $25,000 we're spending it for x it's actually gonna get spent yeah and and x. they're telling us you know this is what we're spending the money mm-hmm. on and we you know so that's that's the layer of that's the checks and balances of government. Right. And then you talked about this kind of broad overview that's that's coming down the pike, and there will be a public input process for that. So is that just something that will be announced and come to pu- public meetings and talk broadly about zoning changes? Um, In regards to the cameras? The new, yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, once that's released, there will be a public input session once we get to the point right, where, where we're, we're, ready where to we're do crafting something. policy. Right. And that, yeah, that, that would be, yeah. And we'll make sure that obviously the public knows and we welcome that because we want to hear mm-hmm. what they have to say. But we're a ways off from crafting policy. Right. Um, I have a feeling that's going to be uh, probably well into late 2022 mm-hmm. before we start seeing uh, an actual crafting of policy. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we'll definitely make, you know, we'll, we'll definitely go through that process and um, because it's a very critical part of it is hearing what. Uh, public has to to to, to say mm-hmm. well great that's all i have is there anything you want to add you feel like we didn't cover or no i think we've covered some some pretty good topics today and yeah, i appreciate the opportunity to kind of uh it's not very many people especially at my house they, they don't really want me to talk about zoning anymore <laughs> uh i think i've we've added up somewhere I've, I've sat through or had my hands on over 700 zoning cases and uh, believe me, it's a it, it's fun to sit down and actually hear uh, talk a little bit about and hear people want to, well, actually want to talk about zoning. So I yeah, appreciate this the is time. this is one of my I've been really <laughs> excited to to address this topic on the podcast. It's something that I've been kind of 
building up towards and trying to figure out how I want to handle this. And I think I, I finally have got a good plan. So I was very glad that you're starting off this little series and, yeah. and I really thank you for yeah. taking your time. Hopefully I've shed a, a little bit of light on, mm-hmm. on the mysterious process, <laughs> but um, it's not very glamorous work, but it's uh, nonetheless, it's very important work. Well, great. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Nathan. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Chattanooga Civics. Our music was written and recorded by Kevin McLeod. If you have any questions or feedback, please send me an email at chattanoogacivics at gmail.com. You can follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at chatcivics, or visit the website chattanoogacivics.com. Thanks for listening. Proud member of the Podnuga Network.